0: This is Solid Foundation Ministries with Dr. Pierre Covert, building solid foundations through sound Bible teaching. Good morning and welcome back to Solid Foundation Ministries. Two weeks ago, we looked at the faith of our founding fathers. We saw that they believed in the freedom of conscience. That is, the government should not regulate what we believe and how, when, or where we worship. These men were pious men with strong faith. They were faithful to the churches to which they belonged. At the time of the founding of America, all the mainline Protestant churches believed in a state church. They believed that the, to be a citizen, one must first be a member of the church which was sanctioned sanctioned by the state. They all taught that the sword of the state should be used to enforce their religious beliefs. That said these men opposed what their churches believed on this issue. The question we must ask is why did they oppose them? Today I want to look at what influenced these men to go contrary to the teachings of their churches on freedom of conscience. There were two things that had never existed before the founding of the colonies in the New World. First, never before had the Bible been available to the common man in his own language. Secondly, the Baptists had never been a force big enough to influence the political leaders of the time. Before I look at these, let me remind you of the text that we're using for this series. Psalms 33.12 says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, and the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. The Hebrew word translated God is translated several different ways. In this case it means the supreme God. It is also translated as judge. The supreme God is the judge to whom the blessed nation submits. The uh, Lord in this passage is Jehovah, which means the self-existent eternal God. He must be the God of a nation if it expects to be blessed. The God of modern America is no longer the God of the Bible. For most people, the God they worship is self. There is a second God that the people turn to when self cannot meet their desires. It is the government. Although the effects of God's blessing in America still remain with us to some degree, we are quickly losing them. This will continue until we turn back to God. Let's take a look at the importance of the Bible's availability to the common man. The need to return to the Bible is a subject deserving of a series of its own. For the sake of time, I will only look very quickly at four passages on this subject. The first of those is John 8.32, And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. There can be no real freedom apart from truth. There is only one source of absolute truth, and it is the Word of God. The next passage I want to look at is John 17.17. 17. It says, Sanctify them through thy truth thy word is truth. To sanctify means to set apart for a purpose. God sanctifies people and nation by teaching them the truth. His word is truth and only those people who follow the truth can be truly free. The next passage I want to mention is Psalms 19 verses 7 through 9. The law of the Lord is perfect converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is pure making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord are pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgment of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. The law of the Lord, that is Jehovah, is perfect. It brings the soul to salvation. It makes the simple wise, it rejoices the heart, and gives the pure vision. It can be depended upon, it is always right, it endures forever, his judgments are true and righteous. The last verse on this subject I want to look at is Psalms 119, 151, Thou art near, O Lord, and all thy commandments are truth. With the Bible's availability to the average man, each person could study the scriptures and come to the knowledge of the truth. This caused many to turn from the mainline Protestant churches to the Baptist position. Others remained in the Protestant churches but believed the Bible instead of their religious leaders. This is one reason they came to believe in the freedom of conscience. Our founding fathers knew that apart from biblical principles, there could be no real freedom because something had to bridle the passions of men. It must either be their religious faith or the government, which of course means no freedom. The second reason that our Protestant founders disagreed with their churches on the issue of the freedom of religion was the influence of the Baptists at that time in history. For the sake of time, I will only look at three Baptist preachers who brought freedom to America. There are many more that I could refer to, but these three will show where the influence that brought freedom uh, to America came from. The first of them set the principle of freedom of religion into law. The second spread the Baptist faith throughout the colonies, and the third ensured that uh, freedom became a fundamental principle enshrined in the American Constitution. The first of these men is John Clark. He was a Baptist preacher and he founded the first Baptist church in the New World. The credit for founding the first Baptist church in in the Americas is often given to Roger Williams but the church in Newport was founded by John Clark about two years before the church in Providence was founded by Roger Williams. Roger Williams was opposed to government forcing people to be part of the state church. For a short time he espoused Baptist principles but he soon left the Baptist. He became what he called a seeker. Most historians give Roger Williams credit for the founding of Rhode Island. It was the first colony to have a constitution that gave freedom of religion. While it is true that he started the process, had it been left to him, the charter would never have been granted. Williams and John Clark sailed to England to request the charter for Rhode Island. They petitioned the king, but he refused to grant it. Williams returned to America without the charter, but John Clark stayed in England to fight for it he finally received it after twelve years of petitioning the king this reminds me of a parable told by our lord in luke chapter eighteen verses two through five there was in a city a judge which feared not god neither regarded men and there was a widow in that city and she came unto him saying avenge me of mine adversary and he would not for a while but afterwards He said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me." The purpose of this parable is to teach us to continue in prayer. John Clark's prayer to God and his continual pestering of the king uh, is what finally won the day, and the charter was finally granted. John Clark was also the one that wrote the founding documents for the government of Rhode Island. It was the first government to enshrine into law the principles of freedom of religion. It was also used as a guide for the writing of the US Constitution. The next man I want to look at was Shubal Stearns. Shubal Stearns was saved under the preaching of George Edwards in uh, 1745. He soon felt the call to preach the gospel. He continued as a pedobot baptist, that is those who baptize infants until seventeen fifty one. Through his study of the scriptures, he came to the conclusion that the Baptists were correct. He was baptized by Elder Wait Palmer at Tolan, uh, Connecticut in, on may twentieth, seventeen fifty one. He continued his ministry in New England for another two or three years. He then, along with his church, moved to Virginia. After a short time in Virginia, he moved to Guilford County, North Carolina. He established the Sandy Creek Baptist Church and the Sandy Creek Baptist Association. From this church and association, Baptist churches were established throughout the Southern colonies. Governor William Tryon of North Carolina was determined to rid Central North Carolina of Baptists. He declared war against them it lasted from seventeen sixty five to seventeen seventy one the government forces prevailed but during the revolution the baptist forces reorganized and were a major contributor to the winning of the revolutionary war during the revolutionary war they were known as the over the mountain men the harassment of cornwallis allowed washington to prepare for the battle in which cornwallis was defeated and it resulted in the victory for the American colonies. This would not have been possible without the labors of Shubel Stearns and Sandy Creek Baptist Association. In 17 years, the Sandy Creek Baptist Association had spread its branches westward as far as the Great Mississippi, southward as far as Georgia, eastward to the Sea and Chesapeake Bay, and northward to the waters of the Potomac River. It was mother, grandmother, and great-grandmother to 42 churches, from which sprang at least a 125 ministers. In a generation, it is estimated that 5,000 churches were established by the association, and only God knows how many were saved. They did this by following the example found at the church in Antioch. We find their model in Acts 13, verses 1 through 3. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucas the, the Cyrene, and Manian, which was, had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them and sent them away. Stern's greatest contribution to the religious climate of his day was evangelism and church planting. The evangelism of Stern and the separate Baptist was different from that of most Baptists today. There was no plea to accept Christ, no sinner's prayer was used, no read and sign the back of this track, nor psychological tricks used to get the desired response. There was only the preaching of God's holiness and man's sinfulness. To them salvation came from the Lord through the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. With none of the modern-day techniques, Stern somehow organized and evangelized a great portion of the South. Perhaps we would have more success in our evangelistic efforts if we would return to the methods of Shubal Sta- Sterns, which are the same as we find in the New Testament. I can recommend you to my book, uh, Shipwrecked Soul Winning, which you can get on my website, SolidFoundationMinistries.com. It was this proliferation of Baptists that gave them the political power to effect the founding of our nation. This brings us to one of the most influential Baptists at the time of the founding of our nation. His name was John Leyland. John Leyland was a Baptist preacher who was not only known for his fiery sermons and evangelistic zeal, but also for his opposition to slavery and his advocacy for a strict separation between the government and religion. Leyland preached freedom in all aspects of life, exhorting his listeners to be free from sin, to oppose slavery, and free others from physical bondage, and to be free from the spiritual tyranny of state-established religion. Leyland advocated for religious liberty protections in the Constitution. He was a friend to both Thomas Jefferson and James Madison. He and his fellow Baptists supported Jefferson's initial bill to ensure religious liberty in Virginia and took up the cause later when uh, Madison introduced it into the Virginia Constitution. Tensions arose between Madison and Leland over the introduction of similar protections into the federal constitution. Madison did not initially think that additional amendments were needed to protect religious liberty. He felt uh, that it was not necessary because the Constitution said there could be no religious test for public office. Leyland and his Baptist followers sharply disagreed. Despite the fact that Madison had drafted much of the Constitution, Leyland had more votes than Madison for the Orange County uh, seat at the Virginia Convention on ratifying the Constitution. Leyland agreed to drop out of the contest for the seat if Madison would work to include a religious liberty provision as an amendment to the Constitution. Madison then won out over the opponents uh, to attend the state ratifying commission. Leyland's ideas of freedom of religion were eventually included in the Constitution of Massachusetts and Virginia. The beliefs of Baptists were considerably different from those of the Protestants of the day. They believed that we were to persuade men through arguments and facts. Second Corinthians 5.11 says, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your conscience. Persuade means to convince by argument or reason. Argument does not mean to be angry. It means to present your case as a lawyer presents a case in a courtroom. There's an old saying that goes something like this. A man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. It means that we can force someone to say they believe something, but we cannot force them to truly change what they really believe. The Bible way of reaching the lost is through the presentation of the truth in convincing arguments. That's what it means to present the gospel. It doesn't mean just to say the gospel is and then give the three points of the gospel. The sword can only bring outward compli- compliance. Persuasion brings about an inward change that eventually shows up on the outside. So we need to be able to argue our case. Pastors, listen to this. You need to be teaching your people doctrine from the pulpit so they are able to go out and convince those of opposing positions. Uh, that's just a little sidelight. I don't know. I felt like plugging it in here. I hope it helps you to, to hear that but we need to know how to persuade those of different opinions. In particular, uh, we're talking right at this moment about reaching the lost. We need to be able to persuade them that there is a God, that he is holy, and that we are sinners guilty before that God, and unless something is done about it, we're going to end up in eternity in the lake of fire. So that's what presenting the gospel is all about. Next, I want to look at some of Leyland's writings and see what he had to say on these issues and then I want to make some comparison with what the Bible says. John Leyland wrote, government should protect every man in thinking and speaking freely and see that one does not abuse another. The liberty I contend for is more than toleration. The very idea of toleration is despicable. It uh, supposes that some have a preeminence above the rest to grant indulgence, whereas we should all be equally free, Jews, Turks, pagans, and Christians. Matthew 12, 36 says, But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. Every one of us will give an account for everything, including the idle words that we speak. If the government can force compliance, then the government must give account to God for what it forces upon the people. However, each individual is responsible to God for what he does. The government's job is to ensure freedom to each individual so that he can make his own choices and decide what he wants to believe and how he wants to live his life. Of course, the freedom of one man ends where the freedom of another man begins. That's what John Leland meant when he said that, uh, to ensure that one does not abuse another. Listen to this next quote. Every man must give account of himself to God. Therefore, every man ought to be at liberty to serve God in a way that he can best reconcile to his, to his conscience if government can answer for individuals at the day of judgment let men be controlled by it in religious matters otherwise let men be free this belief is based on romans chapter 14 verse 12 it says so then every one of us shall give account of himself to god since every one must give account unto god himself each should have the right to follow the dictates of his own conscience you don't have the right to force me to believe what you believe but I have no right to force you to believe what I believe we do however have the right to use persuasion to try and change the opinions of those that we believe are in error and by the way our opponents have the same right to try and change our opinion if they can found what they believe on fact and and reason I found this next quote rather intriguing it says Truth disdains the aid of law for its defense. It will stand upon its own merits. What he's saying here is you don't need a law to enforce truth. Truth will eventually triumph over falsity just because it is truth. Listen to what it says in Psalm 85:11: Truth shall spring out of the earth. And righteousness shall look down from heaven. We need to remember that this earth was created by the word of God, and therefore it is created based upon truth. Eventually truth always triumphs just because everything is based on the truth of God. Sin caused a distortion to come into the world, but it will lose out in the end. The second part of this verse is very important. It says, And righteousness shall look down from heaven. So what is that trying to tell us? It tells us that God sees what's happening on this earth, and we are going to give an account because his righteousness will judge our unrighteousness. Folks, that's the essence of the message we need to get out. You know, when we preach the gospel, we need to realize that it's more than just saying, hey, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. God loves you and he wants you to come to him. Those things may be true but to understand the gospel you've got to first understand that righteousness is watching us, that righteousness is God, and that our sinfulness must be judged because God is a holy God and His holiness requires justice. Justice demands that any time the law is broken that the penalty is paid and correction is made. While the gospel tells us that we can be saved from sin by putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and not in our own efforts or our own works or any church or any act of religion that we have performed, uh, it makes no sense to someone who doesn't understand why he's guilty in the first place, doesn't understand that they're going to stand before holy God someday and give an account. This is what the Baptists were trying to get across to our founding fathers, and fortunately they were successful, that we are each one responsible for the way we respond to God and without freedom we have no ability to respond according to the dictates of our heart and therefore would not be responsible listen to what it says in proverbs chapter 12 verse 19 it says the lip of truth shall be established forever but a lying tongue is but for a moment If we look at what's going on in our nation today, there's an awful lot of lying in a lot of areas, in particular when it comes to our relationship with God and God's principles and righteousness. We're told, for example, that uh, we should be tolerant. Remember what John Leyland said about toleration, Uh, that we should be tolerant of people of other uh, beliefs in their way of life. For example, we should be tolerant and not condemn homosexuality. Well, the Bible condemns it, therefore we should condemn it. Truth condemns it. Well, this is only going to last for a while. Look at Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah tolerated and became uh, infested with homosexuality, but it didn't last forever. The cities were overthrown by God. They were uh, destroyed by the fire falling down from heaven. So truth lasts forever but lies are only for a moment and they will eventually be shown to be the lies that they are now there's a principle of propaganda that is put forth by uh, the left that says if you tell a lie long enough it will be perceived as the truth and there's truth in that however in the long run The lie will be shown to be the lie that it is and it will only endure for a moment. Truth uh, is forever established, but lying, untruth, only lasts for the time that God allows it to last, which is only a moment when you look at God's planned time frame. Here's what John Leyland thought about establishing Christianity as a state religion. He said, The fondness of magistrates to foster uh, Christianity has done more harm than all the uh, persecutions ever did. Persecution, like a lion, tears the saints to death but leaves Christianity pure. State-established religion, like a bear, hugs the saints but corrupts Christianity and reduces it to a level of state policy. Forced Christianity has done more harm than all the uh, persecutions we suffered for our faith. Persecution separates true Christians from normal Christians, or I should say nominal Christians. We value most the things that we fight for. When we are forced to be Christians, the things of faith lose their value. This has probably done more harm to Baptists than any other group in the history of the world we were persecuted for uh, a thousand years during the dark ages and some 50 to 60 million of our baptist ancestors were were slaughtered by the catholics and then it continued after the protestant reformation it was both catholics and protestants that i've taught on this before you'll you'll remember what i'm talking about here But our acceptance and the ease we have of being Baptists in America has made us weak. We no longer have to fight. We're not willing to stand. We want to be tolerant of others. The fundamentalist movement of the early 20th century had a lot to do with this. We started joining arms with those who had different beliefs than we do, and now we have become more like the Protestants than like the Baptists of old and this whole series is about fixing that problem and us Baptists getting back to being Baptists so that we can have our freedoms restored if it doesn't happen we won't have them restored we will continue to lose them if freedom religion has a downside it's this it costs nothing to believe what we believe until the late 1800's we had the freedoms that we should have but there was still contention between the different doctrinal positions. In other words, the Baptists and the Episcopalians, or the Baptists and the Methodists, or the Baptists and the Presbyterians, who were the main religions in America at that time, uh, they all argued with each other. They debated one another over doctrine. That's gone. Now we just tolerate everybody else, and if we can stand on five very vague principles, we're all considered okay. That's not the way it ought to be god's word is true and anybody who deviates from it needs to be told that they're in error and be corrected in the early 1900s unity became more important than truth the fundamentalist movement which i mentioned uh... limited the truth to five doctrines baptists had resisted this type of of uh agreement or joining together in previous times, but for some reason in the early 1900s they accepted it and joined the interdenominational fundamentalists and started sending our young preachers to interdenominational schools. This resulted in compromise of truth. Baptists lost their distinctive character and ceased to be a force for truth and righteousness. This was the beginning of the fall of America. If we don't turn back to our roots, this great nation will cease to be great. President Trump's slogan in the last election was, Make America Great Again. What made America great in the first place was our religious uh, beliefs, our, our stand for righteousness. And President Trump has done a good job of making us great in the material sense. But we need to be great in the spiritual sense or God will continue his judgment upon this nation. And as we come into this election season, or we're already well into it, or kind of distracted now by the uh, virus that's going around, but as it renews itself, we need to remember that as Christians, we need to get out and vote righteousness and vote for the candidate that stands the closest to biblical principles. That is the only way that this nation can ever be turned around. Next week, we'll continue this series and look at the importance that basic principles from the Bible were in the founding of this nation. You have been listening to Solid Foundation Ministries from Lenore, North Carolina. Dr. Covert has 35 years in the ministry as a former missionary and pastor. He is available for revivals and various conferences on missions, Bible, Baptist heritage, and the family. To find out more, go to our website, solidfoundationministries.com, or call 828-244-6505. Remember, the Christian life is not about you. It's about God receiving the glory.